Today is the December 26th, 2021 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. If you would like to uh, donate to our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Good morning. Today's reading is in the first chapter of Colossians, beginning in the 13th verse. Feel free to follow along in a Bible that you brought, or one in the pews, or feel free to just listen. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the, fulfill, the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the, through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you are formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil desires, yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh, fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and bringing us into your light, Lord. Thank you for creating the universe and for holding it together. Lord, and thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to worship you in music and in the reading of, its, of your word and in the preaching of the same. Thank you for our pastor, Steve, who loves you. He loves us and he loves your word. Put in his mind what you would have him, what you would have him teach us today and help us to listen and take to heart what he has to say. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Great to see you all on this Lord's Day, this day after Christmas. Uh, this time of the year, as you all know, we, the world thinks a lot about presents, uh, giving gifts. Uh, some of you here maybe gave gifts or received gifts. Uh, maybe some of you are older and you don't do that anymore. That's fine. But we understand the concept of presents. 
And, you know, God thinks about presents, too. And, of course, what I'm talking about, you all know where I'm going to this, is the greatest present ever was the fact that he gave us his own son, Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful presence. We think about presents and all the things you may get or, or give or whatever, but this is it. This is where we're at. So this is what we're going to talk about today, about Jesus Christ uh, during this Christmas season. Indeed, we are focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about more of the birth, and today we just want to talk about who he is. For that, we'll help you then have a good and strong and solid, a meaningful relationship with him. Each of you should want to know the Lord better. That should be your desire. Uh, for a relationship, a, a good relationship with him is, is fundamental, is foundational to your life, to having a blessing. And for all that you are and all that God wants you to be and, and uh, your whole life, you really, one, there's a lot of verse that can sum this up, but I like this one, 1 John 4, 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus. We could say a lot of things, and I'm going to try to just sum it up on some important things here. But the first one, Jesus is God's son. Uh, John 14, 9 says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And of course, Jesus was not saying that he was the Father, but that he was like the Father. And the fact that he was God's Son means that he had the nature and character of God the Father. And because Jesus is God's Son, then he has a special relationship with God, a perfect relationship. Perfect love, perfect unity, perfect communication. And they had an eternal purpose that they're all agreed upon. Turn to John 5. 19 to 20. This gospel, probably as much as any, speaks about the relationship that Jesus had with his Father. But John 5, 19 to 20 just conveys a, a couple thoughts here. John 5, verse 19. It says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. marvel. So we see that this special relationship that God the Father had with God the Son. God the Father then is a perfect Father to his Son. And there is a special affection, a love, and bond that the Father has for the Son. And, of course, Christ, then, is a son to the Father. And if you want to know more about that relationship, you really do look at the Gospels. The Gospels show us very clearly how Jesus Christ loved and honored the Father, how he submitted to the Father, how he did everything that the Father wanted him to do. So Jesus is God's son. Next, Jesus is a prophet. A true prophet speaks for God. And he speaks the words of God. He's God's representative on this earth, and he speaks the truths of God. God the Father had certain things that he wanted his son to tell people on this earth, and Jesus Christ said exactly everything that the Father wanted him to say. It says, it says this in John twelve forty nine: I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? I didn't speak my own. He told me what to say, and I said it. Number three, Jesus is an heir. Jesus was appointed heir of all things. Psalm 2.8 says, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And part of God's inheritance for his son is this world. It is God's gift to Jesus. 
And during the kingdom age, Jesus Christ, the next age, Jesus Christ will inherit and possess the whole world. During that time, he will reign and rule over the entire earth. That's what he's going to do. But Christ is also an heir in that believers are God's gift to him. We're God's, God's gift to Jesus. We are spotless, his precious, his eternal bride. And what's most important to Christ is not this physical landmass that we call earth. He will inherit that. What's most important is that we are his children and he loves us dearly and we will be with him forever. This, this encouraging verse, John 17, 23, and Jesus is praying to the Father. And you hear his heart here. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. He loves us to pieces. He really does, and he wants to be with us. Next one, Christ is the creator. It says in Colossians 1, which Jeff read, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ created everything that you see, everything that is invisible, and everything that is invisible. And the invisible is hard to understand. I mean, if something is visible, then how can God create it? He does. For example, God creates the angels, and they can be invisible. God created the angels. God created all the stars, millions, maybe billions of stars. And, of course, they're pretty much invisible, too. That is most of Mars. You can't see most of the stars. He created every cell, every atom, every grain of sand. You go to the beach, every single grain of sand is there because God created it. Every drop of water, you all drink water every day. Every drop you drink is what God, Christ created. It's amazing. The creation is an incredible display of the power and the wisdom and the beauty and the glory and, yes, the love of Jesus Christ. It says in Psalm 119, the earth is filled with the love of the Lord, and the love of the Lord is seen then in the creation that that Christ, Christ made. Next, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Colossians 1.17 goes on to say, Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's an amazing phrase. All things hold together. Jesus upholds and sustains all creation. He is the one that keeps everything and everyone going day after day and year after year. You need to think about this. The fact that you keep going is because of Jesus. Without him, every cell of your body would fly apart. And you got billions, I think trillions of cells. A lot more atoms than that. They'd all fly apart. You know, you have, you have these uh, nuclear physicists, you know, and they're trying to figure out how all these subatomic particles, you know, hold together. I mean, they've been studying this for years and years, particularly probably the last 50, 60, 70 years. They can't figure it out. I mean, how does it hold together? They should be flying apart. It's Christ that holds it all together. And Christ is the one who sustains you. He's the one who strengthens you. He's the one who energizes you every second of your life. And also, Christ, by his awesome and infinite power, holds every planet and every star in its place, in its proper orbit. Things we don't even understand. But we're here on this little earth, and there's a whole universe out there, and Christ holds it all together. He does this by his word. Jesus' power comes from within himself and is manifested as he speaks. A very interesting verse, Psalm 33, 9 says, God spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Have you ever said something and it just happens? It doesn't work that way with us. With God it does. He says something and it happens just the way he wants. Next, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The word radiance means to send forth light, and Jesus Christ sends forth the light, the truth, and the glory of God. 
Now, you can't see the sun, right? You can't see the sun. You've all maybe glanced at the sun. You see, so you know what you're seeing is light. You're seeing beams and rays that come forth from the sun. So, too, you can't see you can't see God, but you can see God and his glory in the person of Jesus Christ. God wanted his glory to be seen on this earth, and so he revealed it through his son, Jesus Christ. Turn to John, just a few verses. Again, there's so much in John. I'm just going to read these verses. John chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A powerful verse. Go to verse 14, and it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh. That's what we celebrate Christmas. And then we see the glory of God, which is the glory, it says there, of the Father. Final verse here, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Interesting way to say it. Jesus in the bosom of the Father, he has explained the Father, revealed the Father. We see the Father in the Son. That's what's what happens. And next, and this is related to uh, this, you know, the fact that, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Number seven, Jesus' exact representation of his being. Vine's Dictionary defines this word, Representation is this, quote, the divine essence of God existent and expressed in the revelation of his Son. King James translates this phrase as, quote, the express image of his person. What this saying is that Jesus Christ is God and he represents God on this earth. He shows himself to us in that way. God wanted the world to know himself and so he sent his Son to be his representative. You want to know who God is, then again, you look to Jesus Christ. You think about him. You look to him. And, 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 and you realize, again, that God reveals himself through the person of Christ. That's, that's what God wanted. Next, Jesus is a Savior. Indeed, the creation of the world is a great work of God, but Christ's greatest work, God's greatest work, is that Jesus Christ died for us to pay for our sins to save us. That's what he did. There's the Holy Spirit then who applied Christ's work. In fact, turn to Titus. Holy Spirit who applied Christ's work to our hearts. Titus talks about this. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We'll start in verse 4. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared... He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is instrumental in your salvation. You probably all heard of that verse, you know, born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit took the work of Christ that he accomplished for you in the cross and then made you whole, made you a brand new creature in Christ. That's what he did. And Jesus Christ, Hebrews talks about this, is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And, and the reason he's sitting there is because he's done. Back in the Old Testament, you had priests, they'd always be standing because the work was never done. Thousands of priests, and I'll be standing. Christ sat. He now sits at the right hand of God. That, that wonderful verse in John 19, verse 30, Jesus says there at the very end, says, it is finished. It is finished. Important for you as Christians to know that, hey, the work's done. 
you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, man, I'm not doing very good as a Christian. You know, what else do I need to do? Hey, if, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved, and the work that, that God did for you through Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, it's finished. It's finished. You are his child now because of God's grace and love for you. Jesus is Redeemer. Uh, Jeff read this again in Colossians, how he rescued us, it says, from the domain of darkness, that is the devil's kingdom, and transferred us to the kingdom of God's Son. Wonderful. And it, says, it goes on to say, because he redeemed us. The word redeemer buys something. That's the whole concept of redeemer. Buy something or someone to rescue it or deliver it. That's what it means. And, and, and we were slaves of sin, and we were slaves of the devil and of his kingdom. But Jesus Christ by his death, paid the price to redeem us, and God the Father then is satisfied by what Christ, his Son, did for us. So therefore, we're free. We are free from sin. We're free from slavery. We're free from the devil. We're free from death. All these things. No need to, to worry about that at all. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I don't watch Dr. Phil, but she was talking about this Dr. Phil. He's some guy on TV interviews people and talks to them and stuff. Anyway, Dr. Phil was asking this person, well, are you afraid of living or afraid of dying? And I'm not sure what the person said, but on TV that is. But I talked to this person, and I said, well, are you afraid of living or dying? She said, I'm afraid of living. Now, this friend I know has got stage four bone cancer, and that's pretty rough stuff. I don't know all the details. She tells me different things about how hard it is, and it either be hard, and so this whole idea of living before you die is much harder for her than the dying. And I know her, and I don't believe she's saved, and I think she should be really, really concerned about this dying part. But the point is, as Christians, we don't need to be afraid of anything, living or dying. The Lord's with us. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful truth that because Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus Christ is the King. He'll reign forever. And Jesus is a king because God the Father made him a king, gave him a scepter, and gave him a throne, and is going to give him a kingdom. Psalm 2.6 says simply, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's referring to Jerusalem. We won't see the full reality of Christ's kingdom until the end of this age when Christ comes back. And then he'll set up his kingdom on this earth and he'll reign forever and ever. It says in, in Revelation 11:15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he'll reign forever and ever. Now, during the millennial kingdom, that's a thousand-year period of time Christ is reigning, and after that, he will be reigning with the Father over the eternal kingdom. That's how it's going to be. You all know this, these verses in Matthew 9, the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Really three little prayers there for his name to be holy, special, for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. But his kingdom's coming, so that should be, a, that should be one of the, your main prayers. Thy kingdom come. We live in this world. It's a rough world. We see it. We, we know it's hard. But that's how you feel. There are things you see happening. Thy kingdom come. Yes, Lord, bring your kingdom. And then the second part is the verse in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first thy kingdom. You do your part in seeking God's kingdom. You pray, and you do the part that God leads you to do. You pray for God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom to come, and you seek first his kingdom. That's what you are to do. Jesus is our brother. This is Hebrews 2.11. All this is on, uh, you can get on the PDF probably tonight, for sure by tomorrow. Um, all these verses, all my notes. So I'm going through a lot of things. I don't always give the references here. 
This particular one's Hebrews 2.11, so if you want to go there, you can get it. If you don't get it or don't have access to a computer or internet, I'll send it to you, okay? Just give me your address. Jesus and all Christians have the same Father, and therefore, we're in the same family. We're all brothers and sisters of Christ. This is an amazing thing. You all understand family. You all understand brothers and sisters, whether it's a good family or not so good or really good. You understand family. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. What's so encouraging is that Jesus, this is in Hebrews chapter 2, is not ashamed to be called our brother. Is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's glad to be our brother. And he loves us and he can't wait to take us home. He can't wait then to show himself to us and be with us and love us and keep on loving us forever and ever. What we're talking about is the family of God. The most important family there is. Again, we all understand physical families. You probably all had experience. You know somebody, hey, things aren't so good in their physical family. That's very common all over the world. It's a very common thing. Problems in discord in families. So I've got a physical family. I've got six siblings. I like my physical family. But I really love my spiritual family. And the fact is, one of my six siblings is a believer. And, and I will say this to you here. I get along with them better than the others, okay? Not that they don't get along with the others. But there's a special relationship, a special affection. That's just the way it is, okay? And that's what God wants. So if you have problems in your physical family, you've got a spiritual family. And that's what's most important. Once you'll be with forever. Next, Jesus is the high priest. Turn to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, 23, 28. There's so much here. I mean, the, the, one of the main themes in Hebrews chapter 7 through Hebrews chapter 10 is the priesthood of, of Christ. It just, it's, it's really, really rich. And it's, a lot of it relates to the Jews understanding what's going on now. What about the old priesthood? And explains how Jesus is a priest in these verses, in these chapters. Verse 23, it says, the former priest, on the one hand, those the Old Testament, that is, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it's fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints his son made perfect forever. God instituted the priesthood. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of priests in the Old Testament. But Jesus was and is the high priest, the most important priest there ever has been, ever will be. Jesus became a man so he could identify with us and could then be a merciful high priest to us. He was tempted in all things as we are, but yet he did not sin so he could save us and so he could help us. Whereas the priests in the Old Testament were just men, and they were imperfect men at that. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's a perfect man. He's a perfect high priest. We understand from the text the priests live for a short time. They're just people, live for so many years, and then they die. But Jesus, the high priest, lives forever. And the sacrifices the priests made in the Old Testament was what God wanted, but they were ineffective in that they were only temporary coverings for our sins. And this is what Hebrews talks about. But Jesus Christ 
sacrifice for us, his, his priesthood, it was an effective one because it permanently took away our sins as far as the east and west are gone forever. Jesus offered himself once as a sacrifice for sins to all who would look to him, to all who would believe in him as the one who then would save them from their sins. And so we're eternally blessed to have Jesus Christ as our high priest. He offered himself for us, he died for us, and he finished the work to permanently then cleanse us from all our sins. We continue. The last one today. There's more, but I've covered what I believe are some of the important ones. Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord just means master or owner. It was used that way in a secular way back in, in, in the New Testament, first, first century. He's Lord, master. He has complete power and authority. He is in charge. He is the leader, and he leads out, and he is directive, and he makes decisions. And Jesus Christ, then, is, is Lord. No matter what you think or what any person thinks, saved or unsaved, Jesus Christ is the Lord. That means he's the Lord of everything. He is the Lord of this entire world. He is the Lord over your life. That means things happen and don't happen because he is the Lord. He's the Lord over your life. He's the Lord over this church. He's the Lord over every single church in this whole world or that has existed in history past or will exist in history future. He is the Lord. He's the Lord over leaders, over all popes and presidents and prime ministers and politicians. You need to know that. Sometimes we get upset by what certain people do. He's the Lord. He is the Lord. He's always the Lord. He's always sovereign and he's always carrying out his will. That's what he's doing. And on Christians, we need to submit to God. Submit to Jesus as our Lord and be his servants and do what he wants and then we can be blessed in the way that God wants to bless us. So, so important. If we don't submit to him as Lord, there'll be consequences. <laughs> be heartaches. As, as God's children, Jesus Christ wants to make sure that we are one submissive to him because he knows what's best for our lives. He really does. Sometimes we, we can think we can do whatever we want. I mean, I mean, even as Christians, oh, I can do what I want. You can't do what you want. You can't. You can't. A non-Christian can't do what he wants. Even that simple verse says this in Proverbs 69, man plans his way, Lord directs his steps. God intervenes, and God is in charge, and God is sovereign over your life and over every single person, saved or lost in the entire world. So I, I love the truth. That's, it's a wonderful, important truth. This truth here, this next verse, you know the verse. I'm going to sum it up here in just a couple phrases. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. It says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, the application is very simple for us. We need to do that now. That, that I think, is talking about the future where particularly, let's say, the, the millennial, millennial kingdom, every knee will bow, whether they like it or not, saved or lost, they're going to bow. Every knee will bow. But now for you, Jesus, you're Lord today. Whatever you want, I, I'll do. Whatever you say, I'll go with it. That's not easy, because sometimes what he says or does, their circumstances or situations or relationships or conflicts or trials, it's hard. And I like this. Jesus, Lord, he's in charge. And the things that happen only happen because he is the Lord. He is sovereign. We need to understand this truth. Jesus is Lord. Hebrews 3.1, our conclusion here, consider Jesus. 
consider him. Hebrews 12.3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinful men so that you not grow weary and lose heart. Good verse. He went through lots of rough stuff. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we go through life, it's easy to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto ourselves, onto our own problems, and onto the things that we want to do. But we're to consider Jesus. We're to have our eyes on him. We're to think about him. We're to look to him. That's what we are to do. If we're to be all that God wants, we need to be continually If we're to be all that God wants, we're to be continually looking to Jesus. Let me say that again. If you're to be all that God wants, you're to continually looking to Jesus, thinking about him in the ways that are talking about here. And there's more too. I mean, I'm only really giving a summary of things here today. What does it mean to look to Jesus? It means we, we see, in summary, we see Jesus as God's son. We see Jesus as the Son of God, the Son of Man. We see Jesus as the prophet, as the prophet, as the creator, as the radiance of God's glory. We see him as God's representative, as a sustainer, as a savior, and as the king. We see him then as, 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 as our brother, as a high priest, as our Lord and our Redeemer. So you think about this. I'm just saying practically what's important is to think about Jesus Christ in these ways. This will help you in your life. Thinking about him. Consider Jesus. Maybe that's the most important application of this whole message. Consider Jesus. Think about him. We need to think about Jesus in this way because it's so easy and all of us at times in our lives as Christians have had vague and wrong and shallow and distorted views of Jesus. We need to rightly and deeply think about who he is and then we can worship him and obey him and the way God wants us to worship and obey him. I want to mention some of the ways we're to see him. Some of this will be reviewed here as we conclude. But as you do this, you'll be encouraged. You'll love the Lord more. You'll obey him more. Again, as people, we can think about a lot of things, but one of the most important things is thinking about Jesus rightly and deeply. First, look to Christ as your Savior. He saved you from sin. Look to how Christ suffered and died for you. Read those gospel passages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about how, what Jesus did for you. Look to Christ as your Lord every day, every day. Look to Christ as your friend. He is your friend. Look to Christ as your defender from the devil's accusation. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Look to Christ as your righteousness, Philippians 3, 9. He is your righteousness. I thought of this yesterday, I think it was. Today is December 26. Back when I was growing up, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and December 26 is St. Stephen's Day. Catholics have this thing. You can look at the Catholic calendar, and there's Saint this and Saint that, you know. So I always felt pretty good in December 26. Hey, this is, Saint, this is my day. This is St. Stephen's Day. You know what? As Christians, we're all saints, and every day we're a saint. Every hour 
round the clock. It's a special thing. It's because Christ is our righteousness. Look to Christ as your mediator between you and the Father. Look to Christ's love, and he loves you far, far more than anyone anyone else. Look to Christ's strength, the fact only he can really strengthen you. You know that verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ. He gives you the strength. You can do what God wants you to do. Look to Christ for encouragement. This is a great verse. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 talks about this. He's your consolation, your comfort, your encouragement. It's one of the most precious verses I know about how the Lord is there for you. Philippians chapter 2, 1, 2. Look to Christ for forgiveness and mercy because we all sin. You need to look to him and say, hey, Lord Jesus, you took care of it. And he's the one that is, is the agent by which you're forgiven of all your sins. Look to Christ as the author, perfecter, and, and builder of your faith. This is Hebrews chapter 12. We all are growing in our faith, and he is the one building it. Look to Christ for your joy. It says rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 4, 4. Look to Christ for peace. Look to Christ for wisdom. Look to Christ for sanctification. Look for Christ's return, 2 Timothy 4, 8. That's what Paul was thinking about as he was getting close to dying. Look to Christ's glory and majesty and that someday you will be glorified and that you will be able to know and love the Lord and, and glorify him like never, ever before. Just a few verses to conclude on. Philippians 3.10, again, application. I want to know Christ. It's the simplest. You can all memorize that. That's, that's the NIV. I want to know Christ. That should be your prayer. That should be your heart. Every day, you want to know him in your life, and not just know him in your head, that's important, but also then that translated to your heart. I want to know Christ. Next, to live as Christ, and to die as gain. One of, the, one of the best life verses there is. It's right there. I mean, there's a lot of, well, there's a few good life verses. It's one of the best. To live as Christ. What's life about? It's Christ. To live as Christ. This means who you are, what you do, what you say, your work, your friends. To live as Christ. Your mission, using your spiritual gift, to live is Christ. That's it. What else can you say? To live is Christ. Then to die is gain. Why is it gain? Because you'll see Christ. You'll be with Christ. You'll know his love like never before. There'll be no interruptions in your relationship with him. You'll know his great love for you, and you'll love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To live is Christ. To die is gain. What great verses. We all have friends that pass on that are believers. Man, they're doing really good. Man, they're having the time of their life. <laughs> Don't be too sad. Be glad for them. And as you're really glad for them, you know what? That helps take away your sadness. Sometimes we focus so much on how we miss somebody. Focus on where they're there, that they're there. They're doing good in the Lord. So the main reason is gain because you'll see Christ and be with Christ and you'll love him and you'll know his love. It'll be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to live as Christ and to die is gain. So... We finish this year, but this is how we should be thinking of every day of the rest of this year, the last five days, and then all of 2022, to live as Christ. What do you do in 2022? Well, to live as Christ. That's it. If God takes one of you home or two of you home, to die is gain, okay? But that's it. And, and that again, that verse, I mean, put it on your wall, put it in your Bible. I mean, it's easy to memorize, but sometimes you need to see it. You see there in big letters, to live is Christ. So let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your word here. We've just done a real quick summary of who you are, Lord Jesus, not in some ways sufficient, but enough to get us thinking. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you'd help us to understand the truth of that. And it'll be real in our lives. This is, is not happen because we can do it in our own flesh. It's not by our own strength, our own wisdom. It's Lord Jesus, you and, and Holy Spirit um, doing it in our hearts. We, we ask you for this. That, that Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, we pray that in 2022 and the rest of this year in 2022, more than any other year, this would be true. We'd be thinking about you. We'd be considering you. We'd be loving you. We'd be submitting to you, Lord, all these things, worshiping you. Lord, we just ask you for this. But thank you again for this time. Thank you for this church and all who are here today, all those who are listening online. We thank you so much that, that we know you. You've given us this eternal life. And help us then to live for you in the way that you want. Protect us, Lord, as we go through life because it's evil out there. Ask for your protection, Lord. Ask your help and just build this church in the way that you want. I want to pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.